0: Thanks very much, Carl. Uh, Fed Governor Lael Brainard will say the Fed will begin to reduce the balance sheet at a rapid pace as soon as the May meeting sort of echoing, maybe going a little further than Fed chair. J Powell has gone in the past. She says the committee will continue tightening policy, quote, methodically, and that is through a series of interest rate hikes, she suggests. Um, of paramount importance, she says, is to get inflation down. On the balance sheet, she says you she expect to, sh- to shrink the balance sheet more rapidly than the Fed did in a previous balance sheet reduction period, and that includes large monthly caps on runoff, On the runoff. That is, the Fed will set a level for how much it will allow to runoff. She's saying those levels will be large. They'll phase them in, but they'll get to them very quickly. All of this combined, the rate hikes and the balance sheet runoff will make policy, quote, more neutral, she says, this year. That sounds like she wants to get around 2%, maybe a little bit higher on the funds rate. Uh, And the Fed will have an opportunity to hike rates at every meeting this year.
1: Alright, today is Tuesday, April 5th, and this is a recap for the stock market activities today. Folks, I got a good one for you tonight, and what a bloodbath we got in the stock market today. The bulls been buying the dip over and over and over and over again for a few weeks now. We're going all-time highs, bro. And today we got a sell-off, and probably the reversal, of the recent rebound. Off what? Off commentary from Governor Brain Dead from the Fed hawkish commentary about the balance sheet and you saying the bulls who've been buying the dip for a few weeks now they did not know that they did not anticipate the fed to be hawkish or were they having their heads buried deep in their asses when they were buying the dip with no regard whatsoever to the facts or the surrounding environment we'll see what happens in the days to come but for now let's dive right into it in focus tonight A soft landing, huh? Like, you know, max speed, nosedive, right into the ground. If that is what you mean by soft landing, then sure, we'll have a soft landing, Mr. Federal Reserve Jerome Powell. But, absent of that, uh, it's gonna be a disaster. When we look at the Wall of Warrior, for example, how could the bulls forget about all these items? From DC, to Russia, to the Thing, to China, to the hawkish Fed. When we talk about China, for example, the outbreak of the Thing, Is extremely grim. Lockdowns all over the place. They got the zero cases thingy going on over there, which is stupid, by the way. But the bottom line is the same. Shutdowns in Shanghai, the largest city in China, the most important port in China. What do you think will happen here? A massive stagflation problem. On top of the stagflation that we already have in this economy, goods are not moving. Companies are not going to make sales. What do you think will happen to earnings? And they said, oh, last summer they said the same thing. Wait till the reopening, economic activity will pick up again, the supply chain will ramp up again, and the inflation problem will go away was transitory. Here we are almost a year later and things are getting worse. How could you not know that? The news was out, but this is what happens when market participants put their blindfolds on and they run Naruto style with the stupidity of FOMO and they chase whatever move the market manipulators and the predators give to them. When we look at Russia, for example, things are not getting better. Today, Russia attempted to pay off some of its debt, some of the bondholders in US dollars. And guess what? The US Treasury decided to block the payments. So it doesn't mean that Russia is running out of money. Russia has a lot of money, but they cannot use U.S. dollars in U.S. bank accounts to pay these bondholders. So what does that mean? It means that we're getting into the nightmare scenario in which Russia could default technically speaking. And it appears that the US and its allies are pushing for Russia to default. You think the default of the Russian economy is not going to have ripple impacts across the globe? Think again. And on top of that, the EU commissioner, whatever the hell she is, along with the Biden administration, came out today issuing more sanctions. Now, what is the wisdom behind all of these sanctions? Because they're not stopping the war. All what they're doing right now is harming US and European economies. And also punishing other global economies in South America and Asia and Africa and the Middle East with more inflation. I know, by the way, a starvation crisis because they cannot import wheat from Russia or Ukraine. They cannot import from Ukraine due to the war. They cannot import from Russia due to the sanctions. What is the wisdom behind punishing the European population, for example, who are going to suffer from massive inflation and possibly economic crashes in their own economies? What is the point of doing all of that? if the european union and the u s believes that by imposing more sanctions the russian economy will collapse and they will stop the war they're living in a fantasy that will never happen yes russia could default but they're not going to stop the war and oh by the way when they go down They're taking all of us down with them. So the stupidity continues to go on. The EU is imposing sanctions on Russian coal this time around. Not oil and gas, by the way. They continue to buy oil and gas from Russia. The hypocrisy, the stupidity is unprecedented. We've never seen this scale of stupidity before. what do you know? The prices of coal are surging higher again. You're punishing the consumer who's going to have to buy coal from the open market. You're making the cost of energy more expensive for people at home. More inflation across the globe. What do you think that means? A dovish Fed? Because this is what the market participants been anticipating. Looking at their actions. Buying the dip for a few weeks right now with no regard at all to all of these facts. What were they expecting? They were expecting that the Fed was bluffing. The Fed is going to be dovish at the end of the day. How could they be dovish? And how could you be stupid, by the way, in this assumption when inflation is surging out of whack and the stupid policies that are fueling inflation continue to go on? We now have uh, Jamie Dimon from the Landromat. JP Morgan Chase and he warns that his bank will lose at least one billion dollars from the Russian exposure. Well this is what happens when your entire business model is to wash dirty money for Russian oligarchs and mobsters. But speaking of Diamond let's go back to the wall of worry and talk about the most important item which is the hawkish Fed. Landromat CEO Jamie Diamond came out yesterday and he issued a dire warning of an unprecedented risk In the U.S. economy, Diamond added that he wishes the Fed all the best, quote-unquote, on slowing down inflation. As if Jamie Dimon is saying, hey, Fed you're not going to make it. But good luck regardless. What does that mean, not going to make it? It means that the so-called soft landing is a fantasy. And the soft landing would be crashing the entire economy. Congratulations to Captain Jerome Powell. We could have had a blind captain to perform the soft landing, and they would do a better job than Jerome Powell. J.P. Morgan Chief Executive Jamie Dimon on Monday warned of the unprecedented risks facing the U.S. economy as the war in Ukraine, persistent inflation, and rising interest rates combine to slow the thing pandemic recovery. Oh, we had a recovery? Anyways, Diamond says, Oh, they present completely different circumstances than what we have experienced in the past, and the confluence may dramatically increase the risk ahead. Diamond wrote in his closely watched annual letter to shareholders, Diamond said that the U.S. economy was strong with plentiful jobs, wages rising, and consumers and small businesses flush with money generated in 2020 and 2021. Correction. The money was not generated. The money was printed out of thin air. What do you think happens when we run out of uh, the free cash out of the printer machine? When the Fed says no more? No more cocaine for the economy? What do you think will happen? Anyways, but he warned that the Federal Reserve could raise interest rates significantly higher than the market expects. Last month, the Fed lifted its benchmark interest rate for the first time in three years and signaled there would be a series of increases this year as it looked to tackle inflation. Diamond says, I'm not gonna read it in his voice, one time was enough, but if the Fed gets it just right, we can have years of growth and inflation will eventually start to recede. In any event, this process will cause lots of consternation and very volatile markets he said or he wrote who cares the war in ukraine and the sanctions on russia at a minimum will slow the global economy and it could easily get worse diamond wrote sanctions have already roiled global oil commodity and agricultural markets and many more could be added which could dramatically and unpredictably increase their effect, Diamond Road. Along with the unpredictability of war itself and the uncertainty surrounding global commodity supply chains, this makes for a potentially explosive situation. And I'm pretty sure that JP Morgan is locked and loaded to start manipulating the commodities market, right? Just like they did before. But the main event today was Governor Braindead, who's gonna be vice chair, by the way. And you gotta remember this. Governor Braindead is a radical. She believes in MMT. She believes in endless money printing. She believes that the Fed can solve all problems, or specifically climate change. That is the priority of the Fed. So when Braindead came out today, and she said that inflation is much too high, and the risks might go even higher. And she added, most important statement, the balance sheet reduction could start soon and at a rapid pace, quote unquote. Immediately, the stock market indices took a nosedive, just like the soft landing, right, and closed pretty much at the lows of the day. Now, The bulls are hoping that the FOMC minutes will clarify some of these remarks and the market is going to rebound tomorrow. But here's the problem. All of these Fed zombies are becoming hawks now. Case in point, Kansas City, Esther George. She now says that 50 basis points hike is an option for the early May meeting. Take a listen. Well, there are a lot of people on Wall Street who say the Fed's behind the curve and you've got to go 50 because you're going to lose control of inflation if you don't.
2: So we know that this policy is as accommodative as at any time when we have inflation this high, when we have labor markets this tight, so there's no question that policy has to be removed. But I think you have to do that in the context of having highly negative real rates, a nine trillion dollar balance sheet, and thinking about how that combination is going to flow through to the economy. So yes, we have to be very deliberate uh... and intentional as we remove this accommodation Well
1: let me rephrase the first question would you support fifty if that's what the majority wants to do
2: i think fifty basis points is going to be an option that we'll have to consider along with other things and again i'm very focused on thinking about how the balance sheet moves in conjunction with policy rate increases
1: well let's talk about that little brainerd uh, who's in line to be vice chair of the fed said this morning that she expects the balance sheet to shrink more rapidly than in the previous recovery with significantly larger caps and a much shorter period to phase in the maximum caps. Does that summarize where the Fed
0: is going?
2: So I think when you compare this cycle to where we were the last time, we were reducing the balance sheet, and we didn't go very far uh, because of the need for reserves and the decision around uh, that. When you look today at where the balance sheet is and the conditions in which we'll be doing that, I think it easily argues for going faster and moving along at a quicker pace than we did before. We have a ways to go to get this accommodation out of the economy.
1: Of course, Esther George is dancing the delicate dance that, yeah, we would consider 50 basis points, but we will look and see and analyze. And all what she means is, if the stock market continues to go higher, then we'll do 50. Because we have the cushion. If the stock market goes down, eh, we might reconsider the 50. And this is what I said since the stupidity rally, rebound, whatever you want to call it, started in March 15th. I said, Jerome Pound is playing a whack-a-mole game. And every time the dip buyers push the indices higher, the mole pops its head and Jerome Pound has no choice but to smack the mole right in the head using the mallet. Over and over and over and over again. Every time there's a dip buying opportunity, we see the indices moving higher, Jerome Powell and the Fed, in this case brain dead, have to use the mallet and whack that mall right in the head and say, "Uh uh-uh, go down. Because every time you go up, you're giving us the room to start tightening even more. And now we have the BIS central bank group warning that the world might be on the cusp of new inflationary era. Now we've heard from a lot of predominant names in the finance and economics field projecting that inflation could last for years, if not decades. And here we have another warning. Soaring global energy and food prices mean almost 60% of the developed economies now have year-on-year inflation above 5%, the largest share since the late 1980s, while it is over 7% and more than half of the developing world a key message is that we may be on the cusp of a new inflationary era the general manager of the bis central bank umbrella group augustin karstens said on tuesday we need to be open to the possibility that the inflationary environment is changing fundamentally he also added and if my thesis is correct Central banks will need to adjust. What does that mean? It means more aggressive approach in tackling inflation, and this will require crashing the stock market and perhaps pushing economies into a recession, maybe a global recession. That is the price to pay to tackle this inflation, which was born, by the way, due to the reckless policies of the central bank of the world, the root of all evil, the Federal Reserve and their allies. And inflation is a big problem, by the way, not just economically speaking, but from a political standpoint, too. It's gonna cost the Democrats the elections in this country. God knows what's gonna happen in European countries but we're seeing uprisings. We're seeing the backlash from the public starting already. Look no further than Peru for example, a country which deployed the army to control anti-inflation protesters. Maybe they should use some Canadian tactics by freezing their bank accounts, stealing away their pets, Maybe that'll work. But in any case, we have another Fed insider warning that we're going to have a recession this summer. This is the most aggressive call I've heard so far. I'm expecting a recession in 2023. This guy, a Fed insider, is expecting a recession this summer. I don't have any reason to doubt him at all. US economy will fall into a recession this summer as inflation eats into consumer spending. Former fed official warns higher inflation will force consumers to limit their spending by so much that the economy will slump into a recession by the july september quarter and this is coming from former federal reserve governor Lawrence Lindsay. He has a point by the way. When you have insane inflation in rents, in utilities, in gasoline, in groceries, you're not going to spend more on other things, specifically services in the economy. This in turn will crush the pace of economic activity. And oh by the way, when the consumer is not spending on goods and services because they have to spend more on essentials, what do you think will happen to the top and bottom lines revenues and profits for all of these companies? They're going to shrink, they're going to go down, and so So will their stocks. Instead of buying iPhones, the consumer will have to spend on groceries, gas, utilities. So you want to stick with these companies, the essentials. Gas, utilities, groceries, rents. And you want to avoid the stocks of companies where the consumer is going to cut spending on. Anyways, continuing. I do think we're going to have a recession probably in the next quarter, Lindsay said in an interview with CNBC. Lindsay said he was worried that inflation was poised to move higher and there could soon be monthly prints of CPI above 1%. Consumer inflation hasn't risen 1% or more for two straight months since the summer of 1980. So what he's saying is the last reading of the CPI was 7.9%. Now we know this is the cooked watered down version of inflation courtesy of the kitchen that we call the bureau of labor statistics but the actual rate of inflation is around let's say 17 to 20 percent but let's go with the fake data anyways What he's saying is perhaps next month we will see inflation rising by one percentage point, meaning 7.9 to 8.9, and that could happen repeatedly in March, in April, in May, and soon enough we could see double digit readings on the CPI. That would be a disaster because if we have double digits inflation in the CPI, the actual inflation in the economy that you and I are going to feel will be at around 25-30%. What's next? The Weimar Republic kind of inflation? Zimbabwe? This is what we're heading to. Anyways, that is going to push consumer purchasing power down by about 2 points on top of the 2.5 points it has already declined since the beginning of 2021. You can't have that much of a shock without having a recession. Lindsay said the Fed eventually will have to increase its benchmark interest rate higher than consumer price inflation, now running at an 8% annual rate in order to get prices in check. At the moment, the Fed's benchmark interest rate is in a range of 25 basis points to 50 basis points. Do you even understand what this means when we say that the Fed is way behind the curve? To tackle inflation, You have to increase the Fed's funds rate by more than the CPI's rate. So the Fed, this moment, should be raising interest rates above 8%. Of course, they cannot do that all at once because it will crash the economy and the stock market. But if inflation continues to move higher by 1% month over month and it goes to double-digit inflation, then we're now talking about a Fed that is way behind the curve. And at some point, they're going to have to accelerate those interest rate hikes rapidly from 25 basis points at a time. To 50 basis points at a time to a full point at a time you gotta get above the cpi at some point if it is 10 you gotta get to 11 yes this will erode the demand of the economy yes this will crash the economy yes this will crash the stock market yes we will have a recession but this is the price to pay and the fed is nowhere near tackling the rate of inflation now by the way imagine if the real rate of inflation is around 20 percent right now and the fed funds rate is at 25 basis points we want to talk about way behind the curve? And the rapid acceleration of interest rates that we're about to see in this economy? Did the bulls and the dip buyers forget about all of that when they were buying the dip blindly in the last few weeks? Something you got to think about. There has never been significant disinflation since the early 1950s without the CPI being lower than the Fed funds rate. We are nowhere close. Nowhere close to being able to control inflation with what we have, he said. Uh-oh. Cue the Elmo with the fire. Matter of fact, cue the nuclear bomb. Better yet, cue the asteroid. End of life. But rest assured, if you are already shit your pants, and you want to grab another diaper and the pacifier and the coloring books and the Kleenex, All your horses, you got allies. In the New York Times. The New York Times says the U.S. economy is booming. So why are economists worrying about a recession? Question mark. Is it really booming or do you need an eye exam? Or maybe they meant bombing. Maybe this is a typo. The US economy is bombing. What are you people talking about? Booming. You wanna talk about gaslighting, up is down, down is up, left is right, this is the world that we're living in. The propaganda is endless. How is it a booming economy, the New York Times, where we have the biggest trade deficit in history? This economy produces shit. You know, they say Russia is just a glorified gas station, if that is the case, then what is the USA? It's a glorified farm, because this is what we export. And oh, by the way, when I talk about a gas station, what do we export these days? Oil and gas. The rest? All comes from China. This is a dying economy. And oh, by the way, you want to talk about a booming economy? How come we're seeing people resigning all over the place, quitting their jobs? Because the pay is too low. The media, and matter of fact, the San Francisco Fed now says the Great Resignation is much more normal than you think. It's no big deal when we have 4 million workers quitting jobs every single month. That is a booming economy? That is normal? The San Francisco Fed? Or is it a major problem that people are quitting jobs, refusing to work at all, because the pay does not live with the rate of inflation? It doesn't make sense to go to work every single day, 9 to 5, busting your ass when you're net-net down 3 points or so, factoring in inflation. When we talk about a booming economy, we talked about this in last night's video with the Organized Labor and Christian Smalls, Mr. Smalls now says that he was contacted by by over 50 buildings nationwide. These are Amazon warehouses that are now planning to unionize. Wage inflation is going to skyrocket. In turn, inflation is going to skyrocket. It's going to be a vicious cycle of inflation. And the Fed will have to slam on the brakes aggressively. Everything is going to crash down. The entire house of cards is going to come down crashing. But hey, it's a booming economy. What's wrong with you? How about this for a booming economy? The New York Times. You know all the talk about the resilient consumer and the consumer is flush with cash. Even Jamie Dimon says that because they have a lot of savings during the pandemic so they can absorb whatever shock whatever economic shock they get the consumer is ready and prepared really the personal saving rate is now reading below the pre-pandemic reading what does that mean all of these stimmy savings poof, gone goodbye why because the consumer had to chase inflation the consumer had to pay more for mortgage for rent for utilities for gas, for groceries. I know oh, by the way, they've been locked at their houses for two years or so. They want to travel, they want to go eat out, so they spent every penny of the stimmies and the savings. Now what happens? The next stage. Swiping those credit cards up and down, up and down, up and down. Credit card loans are increasing at an alarming rate, folks. What do you think will happen when people lose their jobs as the economy tightens and now they have thousands of dollars in outstanding debt? On the credit cards. And you know, oh, by the way, the rate, when the Fed's rate was at zero, the average credit card rate was at around sixteen percent. What do you think will happen when the Fed funds rate skyrockets to three, maybe four, or five percent if the Fed becomes really aggressive in tackling inflation? What if your credit card interest rate moves to let's say fifty percent and now you have thousands of dollars in outstanding debt, and oh, by the way, you lost your job, you lost your income, and on top of that, you have a rent or a mortgage that you cannot really afford because you had the formal, you were chasing the housing mania. What's going to happen in this economy? You see, the experts, quote-unquote, keep telling us that, hey, this time around is going to be different because we're not seeing the reckless risk-taking, just like we saw back in 2008, 2009, ahead of the financial crisis and the housing collapse. This time around, the consumer is disciplined using credit cards. They're not living beyond their means. They're not taking unnecessary risk. Really? They're gambling on meme stocks at this stage of the cycle. They're racking up credit card debt like never before. They're living way beyond their means, taking mortgages and rents they cannot really afford. Everybody's assuming that their job is in the bag. They're never going to lose their job. We have remote workers working for a company in California, but they're living in Idaho because housing is cheap. They're taking that kind of degree of risk. Again, what do you think will happen? When companies in California, for example, their stocks start to go down, the economy starts to get a little tight, and they have to fire workers, you have to initiate layoffs. They're going to start with the remote workers, goodbye. And then what happens? All of these people working remote jobs from Idaho, now they're going to have to compete in the 10 jobs left in the state of Idaho. And the risk is global, by the way it's not just in the United States in the UK for example the average credit card debt right now we're talking about the interest rate alone is fifteen hundred pounds this is not the actual debt by the way this is just the interest rate that your average Breton has to pay fifteen hundred pounds again what do you think will happen when interest rates move higher it's gonna be an epic disaster but hey rest assured continue to buy stocks put your blindfolds on this strategist says are you worried about the inversion of the yield curve, which is, by the way, a reliable predictor of an upcoming recession, will worry no more. Because the inversion of the yield curve is actually a sign that inflation will cool down. <laughs> Wow. The inversion of the key measure of the Treasury yield curve is telling investors more about inflation and the Federal Reserve's credibility than it is about the prospects of recession, according to a veteran Wall Street strategist. Let's see what this dumbo has to say. The inversion of the 2, two to 10 nominal Treasury curve is not implying slower growth, but rather lower inflation in 2023 and beyond, wrote Barry Knapp and berry Nap, you better take a nap right now, because if that is the case, it is a cause and effect. If the inversion of the yield curve means that inflation will be down in 2023, guess what would be the cause for inflation to be down in 2023? An aggressive tightening policy, which will take us, by the way, to a recession, because recession is the remedy for higher inflation. And oh boy, the bears are coming out of the woodworks right now. Why? Because investors have low faith in the Fed. When investors are asked, What is your outlook for the U.S. stock market over the next 6-12 to months? 46% say neutral. On the other hand, 30% say bearish, and that percentage will increase dramatically in the next few months. Why? Because when the same participants are asked, in regards to the path of the monetary policy in 2022 and 2023, which is the most likely outcome? 47% say the Fed will tighten too much. 33% say the Fed will not tighten enough, so they're betting on a policy mistake by the Fed. And now we have over 1,000 major investors I believe a worldwide recession is just around the corner. Even Goldman Sachs says your portfolio will flatline this year, and that is if you're lucky. Over the weekend, Goldman Sachs gave clients a best case, worst case scenario for stocks and even the glass half full take looks pretty lousy. The Goldman team led by chief US equity strategist David Coston reiterates it sees the benchmark S&P 500 closing at 4700 at year end. That would imply stocks are set to rise only a further 4% this year. Remember, that is Goldman's best case and its worst Question mark. The investment bank reckons equities could tumble a further 21% to finish 22 at 3600. That would be Goldman Sachs recession scenario. To be sure, the R ward is getting tossed around Wall Street with much more frequency these days after a somewhat uncommon occurrence last week. The yields in the two year and the ten year treasuries inverted, a sign that investors have deep concerns about the strength of the economy in the years to come. Goldman forecasts the 2s 10s inversion will exacerbate throughout the year. Ultimately, Goldman concludes that puts the odds of the US recession at 38% probability within the next 24 months. But all of these Wall Streeters, by the way, they have no problem appearing on television, CNBC and the likes, pumping stocks endlessly don't worry about the fair don't worry about the war don't worry about anything just buy but in their notes to their clients you know the one percent they speak differently on the bright side however you boy uh for morgan stanley mike wilson is finally right at least for a day we'll see what happens tomorrow but mike wilson said yesterday that the bear market rally is over now you're gonna start selling And guess what? He got it spot on. So, congratulations to Mr. Wilson. You're finally right. At least for one day. Gotta celebrate that somehow. But when we go back to the Wall of 40, what if we have a new item on the Wall of 40, on top of all what we have right now? And this item could be North. Korea. Yep, North Korea warns of nuclear response if the South provokes it. And by the way, I'm not worried about Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un is into the West, he's into fashion and the Gangnam style kind of videos and the social media hype. You can brainwash that guy and control him easily. But what about his whack job sister? Because she appears to be more of a hawk than him. For a second time this week, the powerful sister of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un berated South Korea for touting its supposed preemptive strike capabilities against the North, saying her country's nuclear forces would annihilate the South Conventional Forces if provoked. In a statement carried Tuesday by North Korea's state media, Kim Yo-jong called South Korea Defense Minister Su-wook's recent comments about preemptive strikes as a fantastic daydream and the hysteria of a lunatic wow what if this sister assassinates kim jong-un and she becomes in charge and nukes start to fly this is the last thing that we need but again you add all of this together and the wall of worry simply too high to climb for the stock market. You gotta at least take one item down, be it China, be it Russia, be it the Fed, because we know the DC and the thing, they're not really that active right now. But one of these three has to go down. Either China reverses the no case policy, a peace agreement in Russia Ukraine, or better yet, the Fed backing down from the Hawkish policy. The problem is they cannot do that because inflation continues to surge out of whack. So recession is coming with that lovely forecast out of the way let's move on to cover the stock market activities today we start with the closing of the indices and here we go The Dow Industrial Average closing in the red down by 280.70 points or a decline of 0.80%. The Nasdaq, the leader of the decliners today, down 328.39 points or a decline of 2.26%. The S&P 500 also down by 57.52 points or a decline of 1.26%. Here are the sector's performances today. Leading the pack, the only sector closing in the green today, capturing the gold, the silver, and the bronze utilities and the laggard of the day led by consumer cyclicals, technology and materials. The gains are led by utilities, the most defensive sector in the market. Is this good or bad? Obviously it is bad. What about the advance to decline ratios, NYSE 19% advancing versus 77% declining. The NASDAQ 22% advancing versus 74% declining. And again, when we get below 20 in the advance to decline ratios, usually, not always, we see a rebound right away, at least in the pre-market. Moving on to commodities. Energy commodities were down with one exception. The WTI was down almost 2.5%, Brent was down almost 2%, gasoline was down a little over two percent likewise heating oil was down three and a quarter percent on the other hand natural gas is surging higher above six and closing the day with gains of almost six percent in a single session and by the way i will produce a video tomorrow showing you a trade that is betting that natural gas prices will double by the summer, anyhow, what about softs? Lumber is soft, down almost three percent today. But muted action across the board for cotton, OJ, coffee, sugar, pretty much flat. On the other hand, the gainer is cocoa, the recent loser, where have managed to close the day with gains of almost one and a half percent. Metals down across the board, flattish action for gold, silver, copper, modest losses here and there, but the majority of losses came from palladium, down a little over two and a quarter percent, and then platinum down a little over two. Percent meats getting slaughtered across the board The losses were led by feeder cattle futures down a little over two percent likewise lean hogs not performing so far down a little over one and a quarter percent and lastly live cattle futures down by almost one percent different story entirely for grains grains mostly in the green and the gains were led by wheat wheat closing the day almost four percent in the green likewise we're seeing gains for soybeans soybean meal corn rough rice oats all closing in the green the laggard is soybean oil was pretty much flat exactly flat matter of fact and canola down almost two percent today here are some commodities news for you today we got an update On the Joe Biden begging tour, Venezuela didn't work, Iran didn't work, Iraq didn't work, Saudi didn't work, UAE didn't work, uh, Houston didn't work. Well, maybe don't bother, right? So now Joey B is resorting to the country up north, Canada. Oh, now we realize that we have a neighbor who's rich in oil. But there is a caveat in all of this. The U.S. wants more oil for Canada, from Canada, excuse me, but they don't want to use pipelines. So the question is, how will the oil move all the way from Canada down to the United States? The answer is via railroads. Now, railroad stocks got whacked in the head big time in the recent collapse of transportation stocks, which is alarming, by the way. But maybe some of those Canadian railways will rebound based on this news. As a response, the Canadians, well, they're saying they're going to invest $2 billion. These are Canadian dollars, by the way, on mineral strategy for EV battery supply chain. So we have a massive demand in oil, a lot of shortage. The Canadians, instead of producing more oil, well, they're going to start mining for EV materials. Oh, because, you know, God forbid we have to rely on these oil rich dictatorships. You know like canada anyways we also have jp morgan now reviewing the commodity exposure after the nickel disaster jp morgan which has been by the way manipulating commodities for years to the point where the u.s government called the commodities desk at J.P. morgan a crime ring now jp morgan is waving the white flag saying ah it's too much more in commodities news what about corn we have a corn crisis folks it's not just wheat oil and gas It's more than that. Nickel, rubber, fertilizers, and now corn. Because we know that Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe, it produces the majority of corn consumed in that continent, specifically in the northern areas of Ukraine, which are under conflict, by the way. And even if the ukrainians manage to plant some corn this season it's gonna be reserved for domestic supply because god forbid we have a famine we got a war going on they're gonna prioritize their domestic consumption over exporting so what is the alternative here we have the united states but we covered in this program that u.s farmers are choosing to go with soybeans over corn due to the cost of fertilizers and not just the cost by the way but the shortages so we have a massive shortage of corn globally when you take away ukraine russia and the u.s production what happens then who else is left there canada brazil they're not going to be able to fill the void we're going to have a massive shortage in corn and corn futures will skyrocket and lastly in commodities news a commodity that we don't talk about a lot in this program milk the headline reads British dairy farming is now largely unprofitable after a jump in the cost of fertilizer, animal feed, and fuel, the National Farmer Union says. And look at this, the price of milk is skyrocketing, and this is in the UK. What do you think is happening in Africa, South America, poorer Asian countries, the Middle East? This is going to be a massive famine, a disaster the likes that we've never seen before, when the prices of milk and bread and corn skyrocketing and shortages are all over the place. Isn't it time to revise the stupid policy of sanctions against Russian fertilizer? something to think about. Moving on to options, the big casino, what's going on here? The hottest table by far, but notice the volume is down, which is a bad sign for the bulls, because we're not seeing more call options buying. We're actually seeing more put options buying. But regardless, Apple at number one, at around 950,000 contracts traded today, about 60% of those were calls. And at number two, Tesla, the souffle, at around 711,000 contracts, about 58% of those were calls. And at number three, AMD, at around 400,000 contracts, about 61% of those were calls. Where is AMC, by the way? Oh, it's down there. Notice how the volume collapsed for AMC. That explains the pump and dump in the stock. They bought for a little while, they scored, the Predators, of course, and they got out. In out hello goodbye. And they left the morons, the apes, holding the back. Congratulations once again. Moving on to the unusual activities that took place in the options market today, we start with the ticker VGK. This is the European ETF. They're buying puts. Not a good sign, folks. They're buying the fifty seven puts for the expiration date, june seventeenth, with the expectations that the VGK could drop down by more than eight and a half percent by then. They paid around one buck and twenty five cents apiece to enter this trade. All in all spending around three. Three million dollars what about the ticker adi analog devices they're buying puts to the 140 puts to be specific with expiration date may 20th with expectations that the name could drop down by more than 12 and a half percent by then they paid around two bucks a piece to enter this trade all in all spending around four million dollars what about the ticker ax for access financials or financials excuse me the name is down big year to date somebody's betting for more pain to come they're buying the 40 bucks puts for the expiration date june 17th with expectations that the name could drop down by more than eight percent by then they paid around two bucks and a half a piece to enter this trade all in all spending around three and a half excuse me 3.7 million dollars now what about the trade for the ticker grwg grow generation what an epic disaster this stock is At some point at the peak, it was trading at around sixty bucks a share. It is now down to nine bucks a share. But somebody's bidding for a rebound here, buying the ten bucks calls for the expiration date, June 17th, with the expectations that the name could move higher by more than eight and a half percent by then. They paid around one buck and twenty-five cents apiece to enter this trade, all in all, spending around one and a half million dollars. What about the ticker XRT for the retail ETF? We're also buying puts not a good sign the 66 puts in this case for the expiration date May 20th, with expectations that the name could drop down by more than 13% by then. They paid around one buck a piece to enter this trade, all in all, spending around $750,000. What about the ticker UNG for gas, not the farts in a jar kind of gas, the actual gas? Well, the buying calls, the 24 and a half calls for the expiration date, April 14th, with expectations that the UNG could add more than 16% worth of gains by then. They paid around 20 cents apiece to enter this trade, all in all spending around $150,000. What about the ticker TAN? This is the solar ETF. We had some good news today, with Spain encouraging Elon Musk to install solar panels to power the European continent. It is a fantasy, it's false hope. It is another con from Elon Musk. But hey, it works in the meantime, right? Just like the Cybertruck and the Robo Taxis and the tunnels, yada yada yada. But in this case, they're buying the eighty-five calls on 10 for the expiration date, May twentieth, with expectations that the name could move higher by more than ten percent by then and they paid around two bucks a piece to enter this trade all in all spending around one and a half million dollars at the bottom of the table what about the ticker aapl apple they're still buying calls the 185 calls in this case for the expiration date may 13th with the expectations that the name could move higher by more than five and a half percent by then they paid around two bucks and 25 cents a piece to enter this trade all in all spending around one and a half million dollars continuing with interesting trades what about the ticker twlo twilio the buying puts big time the 125 puts for the expiration date june 17th with the expectations that twilio could drop down by more than 24 and a half percent by then a crash they paid around five bucks a piece to enter this trade, all in all, spending around $3 million. What about the ticker TSLA Tesla? They're buying the 1,165 calls for the expiration date this Friday. A lot of gambling in the souffle. With the expectations that the name could move higher by more than 7% by then, they paid around $3 apiece to enter. This trade, all in all, spending around $1 million dollars and lastly what about the trade for the ticker DWAC, dwac the quack not so hot so as of late specifically when elon musk is buying twitter twitter up dwack down but somebody's bidding for more pain to come in this case they're buying the 40 bucks puts for the expiration date april 14th with the expectations the name could move down by more than sixteen and a half and a half percent by then they paid around three bucks apiece to enter the trade all in all spending around one million dollars now i think at some point twitter will go down and dwack the quack will move higher why because all what trump has to do is to start being active and dwack if that happens they're going to be retweets of his tweets on the other platform and the media will hype the platform quoting these tweets from trump and dwack will move higher twitter would go down but maybe we have more pain to come for dwack first before we see a rebound moving on to the heat map analysis what do we see here a sea of red a lot of pain across pretty much every sector of the market with exception of healthcare. specifically the big pharma names abvi was the winner for the day and utilities once again of these are defensives not offensives meaning risk off not risk on let's talk about some of the notable movers and the news that we have for individual stocks we start with amd which announced buying pensando for around 2 billion dollars in either case amd was down today more than 3 percent we also have mama kathy tesla Witch kathy wood she announced buying the dip in UPath. the ticker is P A T H. and i say thank you mama kathy for a new shorting idea you buy the dip more it higher for a little bit, and then we short and we score based on your stupidity. We also had news after the bell. From JetBlue, JetBlue announced a bid to buy Spirit Airlines. And of course, the ticker SAVE Save is spiking higher after hours because it's not just JetBlue betting to buy save, it's also Frontier. And it appears so far for now that Spirit Airlines is liking the Frontier offer over JetBlue's. We'll see what happens, but this is one stock moving after hours. We also got news from GM and Honda. They're collaborating to develop affordable EVs that cost less than $30,000. And I say good luck with nickel prices surging out of whack, with lithium prices surging out of whack. But hey, maybe it's an EV that works with the Energizer bunnies. Anyways, the news of the day came from Twitter. Twitter closed in the green, but well below the highs. And I believe that Twitter will start to lose ground in the days to come. But the news that we got today regarding Twitter, it is a buildup from yesterday's news. Yesterday, we heard that Elon Musk is now the largest shareholder on Twitter because he bought a little over 9% stake in the company. The assumption was that he's going to be a passive investor, not an active one. Today, we got the news that Elon Musk, Reverend Elon, is going to be an active shareholder of Twitter. Matter of fact, he's going to be a board member. And the first move from Reverend Elon is the edit button. But in my opinion, this is not going to go as smoothly as most think because, number one, there is now talk to push Reverend Elon to re-invite former President Trump into the platform. We'll see how that goes, but the SEC is also scrutinizing recognizing Reverend Elon because he bought a stake in Twitter and now he's pumping the stock higher. Elon Musk has set the stage for a new fight with the SEC, this time over how he disclosed his investment in Twitter that has made him the company's largest investor. So the battle will go on. Elon is gonna bark and scream. Now he owns the platform. It's gonna get ugly. So watch out here if you assume that Twitter is just gonna go higher. And of course, the former management of Twitter, Jack Dorsey and Agrawal, well, they came out today saying, Oh, we're so excited that Reverend Elon is in the board. Congratulations. We look forward to the future of working together. And, uh, please help us. We're winking, by the way. What do you think is happening to these guys? when you have- the richest man in the world holding a gun to your head a parasite or better yet cancer that just infiltrated your platform we also have news in the starbucks fiasco and it's a big one the union revolution started with deer kellogg's but most importantly starbucks because it became contagious one store unionizing influencing other stores to also start to unionize and it is becoming a massive problem for the company because the culture of starbucks from the get-go encouraged the wokeness and uh, we're for the people the little guy yada 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 it's part of the brand so now the workers the baristas are asking the management to put their money where their mouth is and saying you know what if you're really for the working class and you love your workers so much you should be encouraging unionizations not attempting to crush them and this has been a crisis at starbucks forcing Schultz, Howard Schultz, the former CEO and the founder, to come back as CEO and the leader of the company once again because Kevin Johnson was uh, shall we say a failure Schultz came back and the first move is canceling buybacks not a good move because it moves the stock down you're about to artificially fluff up your stock and you decide to cancel that the stock is going to go down on top of that Schultz got back and forth with the baristas and the unionization threats and of course the baristas are not happy they're now threatening more unionization in the company to the point where the pumpers at Woodbush are now downgrading the stock saying that they The headwinds are too much, halting the buybacks and the unionizations will hurt the top and bottom lines for the company. They took the price target down from 105 to 91. And what is Schultz's greatest idea, by the way, to contain this crisis at Starbucks? Oh yeah, pumping the stock by propping up NFTs. Ay, ay, ay. What a colossal of stupidity. NFTs are so 2021, Mr. Schultz. And what are you going to do? Sell coffee as an NFT? It's too expensive. Nobody can afford Starbucks coffee. But hey, you can enjoy the coffee as an NFT in the metaverse. Virtually drinking coffee. And it's no wonder why the stock has become garbage. And by the way, who predicted all of that? The guy you're listening to once again. Next, we have Starbucks, a weekly chart. SBUX clear winner year to date a candidate for profit taking we have a head and shoulder formation we have a massive gap down there in all likelihood sooner or later that gap will be filled this is a name to fade and if you followed your uncle the maverick fall street a you either avoided a loss of almost 28 percent in the stock or you shorted and you scored gains of over 28 percent in the stock i mean look at this the stock has lost all of its pandemic gains It is now trading below the top in 2020 before the crash. Avoid the stock like the plague because that's what it really is moving on to the heat map for the ETFs what's going on here a sea of red unless you bought any inverse indices the SQQS, the SPXU the TZA FAZ SOXS all of these inverse indices moved higher and of course the VIX proxies the VXX the UVXY all moved higher we also have the UNG natural gas moved higher significantly and look at that the contrast between growth and value both down but values at performing growth The only indices that managed to close in the green happen to be XLU utilities, the XLP consumer staples barely, and the XLV healthcare but mostly the big pharma names I would say avoid the XLV because it includes lousy names stick to the big pharma names AbbVie, Johnson & Johnson Pfizer, Eli Lilly, Bristol Myers these are the ones that are outperforming right now but specifically AbbVie I have a bias because I own the stock when it comes to international markets they're all down even the EWZ was down big, leading the losses today, along with the Chinese ETFs, FXY, MCHY, all down. Everything was down. It's an ugly day, we'll see what happens tomorrow, but my hunch is, even if the FOMC minute saves, comes Thursday, we have another surprise, which we will talk about at the end of the video. For now, moving on to the charts, and we start with SPY, the S P and p 500. This time around, we'll use an hourly chart. From the get-go, there was a problem. It was a gap and crap move higher and then move down a reversal candle, a shooting star right off the gate after the commentary from Brain Dead. And the SPY continued to lose support. It lost 454 and it almost lost 451. In the grand scheme of things, was this significant damage to the SPY? Not really. It didn't even lose 451, 450. It didn't lose 446 and a half. It didn't lose 4 4- 43 now that could happen in the days to come but for now it is a sign of weakness it is a crack not a reversal yet because the SPY made a lower high but it has yet to make a lower low that will happen the SPY loses the support of around 450 most importantly closing the day below 450 but there was a shorting opportunity from an intraday perspective when we zoom in to a five minutes chart for example look at this the reactions at around 454 the chart went down there it got some support and it bounced higher then it went down there again and it failed regardless of that it curled its way higher once again and it recaptured 454 before losing it once again now when the chart loses the support line for the third time in a day it is a clear sign that the chart doesn't have the energy to break above 454 what does that mean the chart's going to go down to seek support on the next level at around 451 450 so you had a clear shorting sign at around 454 when the third attempt failed to short all the way down to 451 this was an intraday trade in out hello goodbye could there be more pain to come it's a possibility but for now let's say the spy rebounds higher tomorrow and it recaptures 451 a support. We will watch if that support holds or not. If the chart loses that support repeatedly, it doesn't even bother to recapture it after losing it, they we're going down to the next support at 4.46 and a half. My expectations are 4.43 will be strong support, so I'll be watching how 4.43 holds, because it is the dam holding the SPY from flushing down all the way to 4.30. If 4.43 is broken, we could see a flush down all the way to 4.30. Moving on to the daily chart for the continuous contract for the SPY, the and p 500. We have the lower high, which the bears were looking at. We We have a spike in the volume, not a significant one, but still notable. We have momentum indicators that are now curling into negative divergences. All of these are signs that the bears are creeping in and they're starting to take the advantage and perhaps soon enough take control in the bull versus bear dynamic. The bulls lost 4,549 a half, not a significant damage yet. The damage will become more noticeable if the bulls lose 4,472, and that will initiate a short trade all the way down to at least four thousand three hundred and eighty-four and a half. a half. What about the SPX, the cash index? Look at that, still above the 200 days moving average. That is a good sign for the bulls, but it could lose that support anytime now. But the most notable move is the attempt. The trade above 4590 which was met by failure, was met by a rejection, not a good sign for the SPY. And by the way, look at this, the percentage of stocks in the SPY above the 20 days moving average are back above the line where we say, hey, you got to prepare for a pullback in the SPY. So every time you see the reading at the green line, that is an indicator that the SPY is oversold and we're due for a rebound. But every time that reading gets above the red line is an indicator, the stock market in this case the SPY is overbought and we're due for a pullback. Moving on to the Qs, the NASDAQ, it's an hourly chart once again. Any significant damage that happened today, not really, in the grand scheme of things, because 360 is still intact as support, but most importantly, 352 is intact for support. Now, 360 is weak support, the chart could lose that, let's say by tomorrow, but 352 will be extreme support, a strong support, and I would pay to see the battle of 352 it's going to be an interesting battle and whoever wins that battle the bulls or the bears will dominate the narrative all the way till earnings season start in about two weeks or so when we zoom in the five minutes chart there was also an intraday trading opportunity for the queues because the chart went down once twice a third time a fourth time at around 363 it failed to catch support early in the morning 363 the chart went down It caught the energy needed to break above 363 again, but guess what? It went down to recheck for support and that failed. The buyers showed up regardless, and the chart attempted to make it above 363 repeatedly, and it failed to do so. It got rejected. That was a sign right away to short all the way down to 360, and then we'll take it from there. So far, the chart managed to rebound from 360, so we'll call that a support for now, and the resistance at around 363. From the behavior that we got today, you can bet that 363 will be stiff resistance for now. So even if the queues opens higher tomorrow, and we see a ratty in the morning at least, Once we get to 363, it will be highly important to watch how the chart reacts at around 363. A rejection, once again, will lead us all the way down to 360, and if that happens, 360 will not haul. Moving on to the daily chart for the continuous contract for the NASDAQ. Once again, we have the lower high that the bears were betting on. And on top of that, the chart lost the support of 15,000. Not a significant damage, but the volume moved higher. The momentum indicators are losing steam. They're now forming negative divergences, which is a sign that we could see more pain to come. The critical line is around 14,445. If that is lost, we could see a flush down all the way to 14,000 but I expect 14,445 to be a stiff battle between the bulls and the bears whoever wins will dominate the narrative all the way to earnings season. What about the IWM the Russell 2000 this is a 30 minutes chart we talked about the bear flag formation we talked about losing 204.5 as a shorting signal and this is exactly what happened today but I would be even more conservative I would not short until 203 He's also lost the support because we saw not one rebound, but two rebounds at around 203. So for now, we could see an oversold bounce. We'll see how the IWM reacts at around 204.5 once again. If it loses that support after recapturing it, let's say early in the morning, that would constitute a shorting signal. And the target will be the next support at around 196.5. Moving on to the Dixie, the dollar index, still a negative divergence, but moving higher regardless of the negative divergences. This is a sign of strength, not weakness. If the dollar is strong, Gold is not going to like that at all. Gold still holding at around 1925, but if the dollar spikes higher and it gets to 100, and oh, by the way, the 10-year yield continues to move higher impulsively so, the resiliency in gold is not going to hold. But the action that we got so far from gold, the resiliency that we're seeing right now, is a good sign that if gold moves down, it would be a great opportunity to buy, specifically if the dollar or the 10-year yield top moving on to brent crude oil what's going on here four hours chart it managed to break above the sloping line of resistance but it failed at the end of the day and it broke 105.84 support i would say another day another pullback and we will see more losses for brent perhaps losing 100 once again so tomorrow will be a critical day for crude either it rebounds higher or we will see 100 loss to support and here it is the chart of the 10-year yield a massive spike higher yesterday we were talking about a bear flag and perhaps losing 2.34 as support but then came brain dead with the pies right in the face the 10-year yield is spiking higher again it is just too strong folks even though the technicals are overextended they could get a lot stronger because the tailwinds are intact and the tailwinds just got a lot stronger today when you have one of the most dovish members of the fed now folding and calling for an extreme hawkish policy and here's the tlt a weekly chart it lost all of the gains from last week and yes i know you're curious did you lose money on your tlt calls the answer is yes you're welcome hope you're happy but yes i lost money on my tlt calls all of the gains Poof, gone. So I had to get out. I'm not going to play the game of averaging down because you're fighting the Fed. When Brain Dead comes out and says, "Hey, we're going to tighten more aggressively, 50 basis points now in the bag," and oh by the way, we're going to start to unwind the balance sheet as soon as May. Yeah, not a good look for the TLT. Not going to hold here. The support of 128 now becomes critical. Yes, the technicals are oversold, but the technicals are also overbought in the 10-year yield. Yet that chart continues to move higher, and this chart continues. To move down because you could use the monthly charts the monthly charts suggest perhaps we have more pain to come in the tlt or more gains to come in the 10-year yield at some point it's gonna top but who knows when in the meantime what about the vix a four hour chart are we seeing a saucer bottoming formation it certainly looks like it the vix recaptured 20s support we're we seeing the macd indicator firming up building momentum in this case higher by the way to clarify yesterday i said if the vix goes down to 15 i will be buying puts with both hands not on the vix geniuses you buy puts in the vix after it spikes higher not when it crashes down to 15 if it gets to 15 it will be a gift on a silver platter to buy puts in the indices the individual stock names not the vix moving on to the vxn four hours chart this is the vix for the nasdaq again it is attempting to recapture 27 and a the MACD is showing acceleration in the positive momentum for the chart meaning we could see more gains for the VXN if that is the case we will see more pain the cues and by the way we have a divergence this time around an unusual one although seasonal in this case in March we see the volatility for the NASDAQ lagging the realized volatility. And this comes hand in hand with a ratty in the NASDAQ. But it is also a sign that sooner or later, the actual volatility for the NASDAQ will catch up with the realized volatility. In other words, the volatility for the NASDAQ was cheap you should have bought puts when that opportunity presented itself but now that volatility will move higher to catch up with the realized volatility and that comes hand in hand usually not always with a top in the nasdaq we're not talking about the top we're talking about a top the prior moves the rebound higher and when we talk about the realized volatility in the nasdaq look at this so far this year 73 percent of trading days witnessed volatility of a move more than 1% up or down in the Nasdaq. This is the highest volatility since the dot com era. So the VXN is playing possum, in other words. If the Nasdaq volatility is about to catch up with the realized volatility, then we will see the VXN exploding higher, and this will come hand in hand with a flush down in the queues. What about Apple, a daily chart? Not a good look for Apple, because we're starting to see a formation of negative divergences in both the RSI and MACD indicators, meaning sooner or later if that holds the chart will lose 172.4 support and then it's going to go down to the next support which happens to be the upper edge of the channel the line in yellow and if that doesn't hold the chart's going to go down to 157 once again a reminder this is the biggest stock in the market by far if it indeed goes down to 157 as support then we will see a lot of pain in the indices and the ETFs, the Qs, the Qs, the XLK will go down dramatically. So Apple is an important stock to watch. The bulls must hold the support of 172.4. You lose that and the floodgates could open easily. What about Tesla, the souffle in hourly chart, look at that, erasing all of the gains from yesterday. So the former crowd who stampeded to buy Tesla because they thought they missed out, well they got served a nice warm pie right in the face and perhaps more pies are about to come because think about the psychology yes technically speaking the chart is still holding at the support of around 1090 and a half and it could rebound from that level again but what about the battle of psychology if you bought tesla yesterday you're now underwater maybe you're gonna hold risk for another day but what if the chart starts to lose 1090 and a half We start to see Tesla down a percent, 2% tomorrow. You're going to see the buyer's remorse, and a lot of people who bought are going to bail out that could start the domino impact where the holders of the stock who bought recently at the latest bottom at around 700 or so they will also get scared and they will start to book profits and that could exacerbate the move to the downside, where it actually loses 995 as support but will take it one day at a time of course they say that tesla's numbers the fundamentals are solid but what about the shutdown in shanghai that's going to impact the numbers dramatically what about the inflation in materials tesla keeps jacking prices higher and higher and higher what did we talk about in the beginning of the video for now the customer of tesla has the purchasing power to pay more and hence tesla is an inflationary hedge but at some point the priorities are going to change taking a lot of risk in the economy and buying teslas using credit and racking up massive debt with higher interest rates not going to be appealing anymore And even those with cash they're going to start to become more conservative so tesla sales could slow down dramatically something the bulls and the tesla culties are not even thinking about moving on to btc what's going on here a down day but still in the bull flag formation we're not gonna call it off the table until 42,000 is lost to support and lastly what about amc a painful ride for the apes so far who bought the hype And they bought call options or bought the stock thinking this could be sustainable for now it appears that this is a pump and dump and now the stock is back at the critical support of 21 you lose that support and we got a problem so my bet is the apes will fight back maybe they will fail at the end of the day but expect 21 to be a battle now another ominous sign for amc is the fact that gamestop was down over 10 percent today gamestop got an organic stock split they wanted to pump the stock by announcing the split now the stock is splitting organically so this is another bad sign for amc and lastly moving on to the conclusion of this video what do we have on the economic calendar tomorrow not a lot we have the most important event the FOMC minutes could it initiate a rebound in the stock market we'll see but we also have the zombie from philadelphia president harker we will see what he says He's also in the dovish camp. He's been touting the so-called soft landing, which is a fantasy, by the way. We'll see if he's going to tilt more hawkish this time around or not. Now, a good sign for the Bears. An encouraging news for the Bears, I should say. Even if the FOMC minutes initiate a pump tomorrow, it could be a bull trap because the very next day, Thursday, we're going to hear from James Bullard, the Bulls Slayer. San Luis Fed President James Bullard. If Daly, Dead, Harker, Evans, Williams are becoming more hawkish, what do you think Bullard is going to say? Maybe he's going to say, hey, we're going to go full point in May. That's going to rattle the stock market dramatically. So let's see what happens tomorrow, I will take it one step at a time. But for now, this is all I got for you tonight, folks. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. I will talk to you again tomorrow.